Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode on the influential personal brand. AJ Vaden here, one of your co-hosts, and I am very, very excited to have a special guest and a new friend on the show today, but she's new to me. She's not new to Brand Builders Group or to my husband, Rory Vaden, because Esther works with tons of our clients, lots of our friends, and also some of our team members. And I was just sharing this with her before. If we didn't already have such a tight relationship with our literary agent, Nina, like there is no one else on the planet that we would even consider to desire to work with other than Esther. So before I give her a formal introduction, I just want to tell you guys why you need to stick around for this show. Because as you saw the title of the show, it's How to Write a New York Times bestselling book. And here are the reasons that you want to stick around to the end. Number one, you can't write a New York Times bestselling book. Surprise! So you probably need to stick around to figure out then, well, how on God's green earth do you get one if it's not writing one? So that's the first thing. Second thing is that this is an episode for you who are in the author space. It does not matter if you dream of being one, you're an aspiring one, you're a first-time one, or you're an established author. This is an episode of if you have a book that you want to get into the hands of other humans, you need to listen to, because that's what we're going to talk about. And then the third are just what are some of the ins and outs of actually making it work in the publishing industry today, because it's changing. It's been changing. It will continue to change. So as someone who's in that creative space and you want to get your thoughts on paper and that paper into the hands of many, what do you need to know of how to get a book published and out into the world today? So that's why you want to listen. And let me tell you mainly why you want to listen. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Esther formally. So Esther is the owner of the Fed Agency. Esther, oh my gosh, see, Federkevich. Yep. I've been saying Fedorkovich for forever. Federkevich. I'm going to like say this in my sleep now, but she's the owner of the Fed Agency. She started her career in a lot of different ways, but some very, I think, important things to know is like you were part of the Dave Ramsey organization and really helped grow that to what it is. I think I read somewhere that you have helped more than 80 books become on the New York Times bestseller list. And we're I over 100 now. We just hit 102. Woo! If that doesn't inspire you to listen to the rest of this episode, then you can just go ahead and like hop off right now. But it's like if you've helped more than 100 people hit the New York Times list, this is just extraordinary. But one of the things that I loved most about your bio that you sent over is that you're not just in the business of helping people get their books published. This is about changing lives, helping dreams come true, and really being a conduit of really good messages for people all around the world. And I love that. You're also a mom. You've got two kids. Uh, you live in Austin, Texas, and I could go on and on and on. But Esther, welcome to the show. Thanks, AJ, for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I have like genuinely been looking forward to this conversation for weeks, ever since we got this scheduled, because I want to be like one of your customers today, because I think there is so much changing in this space and in the industry of what I'm going to call thought leadership or the knowledge economy that 
I think that if you're not constantly having these conversations, you're already behind. And so as we kind of like step into this and what does it look like today, I want to know two things to help our audience get to know you is one, you could have done so many different things. Like you have sold millions and millions and millions of dollars through book publishing. You have worked with some of the largest names, household names out there. You could be doing anything you want. Why did you pick this space? So that's my first question. Okay, so I didn't pick it. It kind of fell in my lap. When I started working for Dave Ramsey, we were self-publishing and then publishing with publishers about 50 different products a year. And they were all financial products. So I was trying to think of like a new way to say the same thing with a new marketing. It's all marketing guys, right? So new marketing idea, new way. And it was get. I'm like, I want to do more than just finance books. And so I worked for Dave till the day I gave birth to my first daughter. I was 25 years old and I said, I'm going to start my own literary agency and I think I could do this. I was good at sales and I'm like, I love story. So what it really fell in my lap because I love story. I'm really a branding and marketing person. A lot of literary agents come in this space because they're literary, they're writers. I came in the space as an entrepreneur and businesswoman, but coming in from this, I love story and I love helping people know how to market that story. Because there's one thing about writing a great book and then there's the other thing about getting it out there and selling it. So both things matter, but it kind of fell in my lap. And then I'm really good with people. I was a big Zig Ziglar fan growing up. I mean, I think I've listened to every Zig Ziglar, you know, audio cassette back in the day. And like, I also just love people. So Dave Ramsey, he made all of his employees read a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then I did this Dale Carnegie course. And I'm like, I'm really good with people. I love story and I can sell. So I kind of said, wow, that makes a good literary agent. Because most writers aren't salespeople naturally. Most writers, you know, they have the ideas and they don't like bragging about themselves. So it's perfect for someone like me coming in and helping get their message out. Matt, I love that. And you put in your bio statement that that's also your favorite book. Why is that your favorite book? I think because it's still relevant today. When he wrote that, think about it, it was no social media. I tell my employees all the time, did you talk to them? Did you actually pick up the Uh phone and talk to them, right? Did you? So I love relationships. I love building relationships. And my whole business has been built on relationships, real genuine relationships. And think a lot of times this younger generation comes in and they have, you know, a hundred thousand friends on Instagram or Facebook, but they have never picked up the phone and talked to them. So that's a big thing for me is in how to win friends and people like all those principles. If you haven't read it, read it. It's still relevant today. Uh, It's one of my favorite books too. It was mandatory reading early in my sales career. And uh, you said something that I think is going to set the precedent for the rest of our conversation, which is You're in the literary field, but at the end of the day, you're branding and marketing, aka sales. And I think one of the things that we run into all the time with our podcast listeners and with our Brain Builders Group community and just with everyday conversations is people somehow have forgotten that relationships are still the fundamental way that we do business today. And they think that you get enough followers, you get enough this, and this is going to figure itself out. And You know, we are lucky to be behind the scenes of a lot of launches. And I'll tell you what, lots of emails do not convert into lots of books all the time. And lots of followers do not convert into lots of sales most of the time. And so, hence why I think this conversation- I'm glad you figured that out. (laughs) Because if that was true, right, we'd all have the magic formula and know just to sign someone if they had 10 million followers that they were going to sell 10 million books. But that's not the case. That is not the case. And so here- is why we're here today. Like, what is it? Like, what do we need to be doing? So here's my first question, which is kind of like, 
you know, part two of a little bit about your backstory is what do you think makes someone not a great writer, but a great candidate to hit a list? Because I think that's like ultimately what so many people want is like, how do I hit that? Personally, I don't really care, but I know that it's a big goal of most. And so I'm curious, what do you think it is? Not about the writing, but what makes someone a good candidate to have the list eligibility? Well, I say like as an agent, I look for three things, right? And you have to have two of these three things to be successful. And I think to have a chance to be a New York Times bestseller. And this is for me acquiring an author to go sell, right? But then I still think it's relevant as when they go to brand builders and you're helping them or they're doing it on their own. You have to have a great book. It still has to be a good book, guys, to sell. Like you can't just write crap, right? And then think it's going to sell because you have a million followers, right? I can prove you over and over again, people that have 50 million plus followers that haven't sold 100,000 books. I agree. So So, step one, have good content. Step one, the content's got to be good. And if you have the ideas and thoughts, work with a great writer or collaborator that can help you read them in a way that you're making the reader powering them to change. You're encouraging, you're inspiring, you're you know making them cry, you're making them laugh, whatever the goal is of that book. But they really want to, at the end, when they close it, they want to get up and their life has changed somehow. Number two is platform, right? And we always talk about this platform, platform, platform. It's easier for me to sell someone with a big platform than someone who's the most incredible writer, right? But they don't have a platform. And that's sad. Back in the day, it was all about the writing. Before social media, when I started, I started in 2003, the only social media around was MySpace. So there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no TikTok. Like I like started as a young agent right when social media was coming out and how the older authors were thinking that were selling, you'd actually go into retail and find their book. So a quote of mine is, with the death of retail is the death of discoverability. So there's mm. no retail anymore. So got to get that out of your mind and everything is our phone. I don't have mine here or like the computer. It's how people are getting to you to buy that book. So platform is huge. And when I can find, even if someone doesn't have the biggest platforms, but they have a cultish engaged platform mm-hmm. like where people really follow them and respond, that's even more important. And you can look at that by like, what's their engagement level? What's yeah. their likes? How many people are actually commenting? That's super important. That means they have a tribe that's pretty, you know, dialed into them. And then the third thing, so you got, it has to be a good book, right? Good content. It's got to be platform. And the third one is got to be a creative idea. It's got to be a good idea. That's why when you see some of these books that they have a saying on it, like make your bed, right? Or the four hour work week. I picked up the four hour work week just because I'm like, ooh, that sounds amazing. Four hours a week. That's all I would have to work, right? It's not even about that. So it's like having a really cool concept where idea or thought process that like actually makes your book different is really big. Like when someone has a great story, so many people have great stories. It's finding that secret thing in your story and expanding off of that. And that's what we do because I come from marketing and branding. When I sit with an author, I never go to an author and say, you should write a book, right? If I'm talking to a huge celebrity, they hear that all the time. I go to them and say, hey, I've been studying. I look at what they engage in. You should write this book. This is the type Mm. of book you should write. And that's why I usually sign these big, you know, celebrities because I'm actually bringing them a really creative idea of why this is the type of book they should write. And I think a lot of times people want to write a book and it's not the book they should write. They actually should start somewhere else. And that's where it's great when you're talking to marketers or branders where you're coming up in a network of saying, this is what really makes you unique. 
Oh, I love that. It's not that you should write a book. It's you should write that book that you need to write a book about that. So like for any of you listening, it's just, I would just sit there and ask yourself, like, what do people actually come to you for? Right. And it's like, that's something we talk about a lot, even in like our own family and our own personal brands at Brain Builders Group is like, what do people come to you for? Like, what's that superpower thing? It's not that you have a great story. It's the stories, the launching pad. It's what is something that you do so well, so uniquely different that you could write a whole book about it? Yeah. And so like a lot of times, like for a pastor, like I work with a lot of pastors of huge mega churches, right? And let's say they want to write on something and that's the sermon that got the worst downloads, right? But that's what they really care about. And I'll look at them and say, what's the message that everyone comes back? They remember 10 years, like what's your core message? And guess what? That core message is their biggest selling book. Like if you look yeah. at Warren with The Purpose Driven Life or Joe mm-hmm. Osteen with Your Best Life Now, or like I could go on and on. All of those were those pastors' core message that people remembered and kept coming back to them. So it's not the other, the new message, because why haven't any of their other books sold what that book has sold? So I think it's really kind of identifying what that secret thing is, why people love you and are coming to you. What content is that? That they're going. Yeah, I love that because so many people do. It's like, and there's this, I'm not saying this is right nor wrong. You can say that, but I won't. But it's like so many people want to tell their story, right? And it's like, that's for a keynote, that's for a blog, that's for social media, and that's a piece of the book, but it's not the book. Yeah, you got it. You're exactly right. So a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to tell my story. Well, memoirs don't sell that well, right? You have to have the secret in the memoir, right? Mm -hmm. In your story. My biggest space is it's on the New York Times. It's the miscellaneous how-to. It's the self-help space. So we do tons of memoirs, but when we tell that celebrity story, it's a hook about how they lived their life. What made yeah. them successful? What made them not quit? What made that? So that's the angle of the book with pieces of their story throughout. But I don't like a book where it's like, I was born here and then I went here. And then I <laughs> like, that's boring, right? And the only person you're selling that to is your core, core, crazy cultish fan base, right? Yeah. That's the only people that are going to buy that book. And that's why lots of huge celebrities that do memoirs, they're like a bestseller for them is 40,000 books and they have mm-hmm. millions and millions of fans. It's because they didn't like identify what that core thing is. Yeah, I love that so much. And I love this whole thing. It's, you know, one, I kind of wrote this down. It's like, whenever you're saying it's like, clearly you have to have good content, but it's like, make it sticky, make it memorable, make it shareable, right? It's like, it's not like, oh, that was a good book. And then you forget that you ever read it, which I've done lots of those. Two, platform, it matters. And I love what you said. It's like death of retail is death of discoverability. So you've got to have a platform and what is it, right? And how many people are you reaching? I love that. Number three, what I wrote down is, it's about the creative idea. It's about developing true thought leadership, right? You know, people always say there's, you can't say anything that hasn't been said. And that may be true, but you can say it in a new way. You can say it in new context and with that slight twist. So what is your version of forwarding this thought, this idea, uh, this thing? And I, I love that so much because I feel like people really struggle with how do I take these ideas from my head, get them on paper but then translate them in a way where it's not about me. It's about the reader. It's about the end audience. But then getting it from there to actually having someone buy it, right? So let's assume we have great content. It's sticky. It's memorable, shareable. We have a good platform. We got a great idea, a unique, awesome idea. Where do we go from there? Okay, so let me first say, if there was a magic formula, we would all be 
worth a billion dollars. Okay. I'm just like, <laughs> if there was a magic formula, because then I would only pick the winners. Right. So I think a lot of times you have those three things and you're working it. And sometimes something goes viral, right. That you don't expect goes viral. Like a good example. My daughter was doing a TikTok. And she said, hey, mom, I want to let you know, I put you in this TikTok. It went viral and it went crazy. And we had over 2 million views and 500,000 likes. And it was the dumbest video, right? And but (laughs) so sometimes you get lucky. Something goes viral. It's the perfect timing. You get on, you know, the Today Show and Good Morning America. And it's just like the perfect lineup, right? But I've had the perfect lineup of all the major shows. And it wasn't a bestseller. Which it's just like, oh, you get so upset. You're like, what? That's and then that book you see 12 months later hit the New York Times. So sometimes yeah. you don't know. It's not like you have to do all the right things, right? And one of the things is what worked. I know AJ, you would agree with this, and Rory would agree with this. What worked two years ago doesn't work today. Yeah. It keeps changing because people are buying differently and they're using different, like it was the day of the email blast was everything, right? And then it was the day of Facebook. I believe you have to do all of the things and consistently. So I kind of think it's like marketing. You can't just talk about your book on book launch week and then not Mm -hmm. talk about it anymore. You can't just be on to the next thing. You really got to give a book time and make that your core message for the whole year and let people hear it. Let people talk about it. That's why if it's a good book and it's changing people's lives, guess who? what you're going to do is you're going to tell your friend. When someone gives you a book and it's not that great of a book, you're not talking about it to others. I think authors give up too quick. And I see this all the time. It's like the ones that are persistent, that keep going, that keep working it, that keep investing. Because you have to look at an author. It's like when you write a book, it's a business. Let's get Mm -hmm. real. It's not a hobby. If you want to be successful, you're starting a new business. And that book is your new business. And a book can turn into more speaking dates. A book can turn into, you know, like you're opening into new audiences that you never were before. It could get you on podcasts. It could get you on media. I mean, a book opens lots of doors, but, and it also makes you that expert in that topic. When you put a book out, what does everyone think? Oh my gosh, that you're an expert. You must be because you have a whole book. A book's a lot of work. It's not like, oh, you say I want to write a book and then you think it's going to be a couple hours a week of your time. Yeah. I think authors spend so much time writing the book and then it comes to marketing and they don't put the same amount of time into the marketing. And they think an agent, I always say an agent is not a magician. I can't wave my magic wand and make all my books that I do hit the New York Times bestseller list, right? It's hard work. And if you can go into that, like, perspective of publishing and your book is this is a business. I'm going to grow my business. If you Mm -hmm. had any other business, you're not going to sit, open up a retail store and never go work it and never go check out your competition. And I mean, you're consistently working it. And so I think authors got to be looking at, you know, when they write a book, it's a business and it, or it's part of their business and they're going to spend some time growing it. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such a great reminder of if you just want to talk about your book, just so it hits the list, don't even bother writing it. But it's like, you got to be able to willing to talk about this book all day long, every single day for years and years and years. And if you don't want to talk about it for a lifetime, don't write it. And AJ, that's why when it's your life message, you're always talking about it. So there's always a book for every author. That's the one that sells the most. It's because they're, they love talking about it. Identifying yeah. that makes it big. Yeah. I think for, again, for everyone listening, it's just, If you don't want to talk about whatever is going on the pages of your book for a lifetime, then start over. Like start over. Because if you want people to buy it, you're going to have to talk about it incessantly to the point where you're sick and tired of hearing your own voice. And then you do it some more, right? And I think that is a thing for all of us is we move on too quickly. 
What drives me crazy is when an author is on a, they have a big break. They're on a big show, right? Let's say they're on Joe Rogan and they never talk about their book. And I'm like, you're on like one of the biggest podcasts and, you know, you're talking about your book, but you never mention that you have a book. So like really working with authors too. And I know you guys do this like on a regular basis, but in my book, you know, here's yeah. the title. This is what I talk about in my book. Like it's really also training the authors. You want people to buy your book, right? So you got to talk about your book. Yeah. So that kind of leads me to the second thing that I want to talk about, which is this concept of to be a great author, in my opinion, to be a best-selling author anyways, you have to be a great salesperson. And we have this saying at Brain Builders Group that, you know, editors edit, publishers publish, but who friggin' sells, right? And it's like the author does. The author needs to sell. So I'd love to hear your take on how do you get people to buy your book, right? Because at some point, you get big advances for authors all the time, but that big advances don't mean anyone's buying it. It's like at some point, you got to put some hustle and grind into this and say, what am I going to do to move some books? So what moves books? Like, what do you see is actually moving books today? A bunch of things, right? All together at the same time. Because once you see things on your feed, when you get the same thing coming up, then what do you do? Oh, I got to buy that, right? You can't just do it one time. You got to keep talking. Like if I keep seeing something over and over on Instagram, guess what? I'm going to finally click it and buy it. So it's consistently talking, line up your podcast, do 50 podcasts, right? Make sure you're always talking about it. But okay, so when you're talking about authors have to sell their book, if you're an author, I'm just, that is not a good salesperson that can't sell, you better have a freaking amazing team around you that can sell for you. So if your natural skill, like I'm probably, I would say the best salesperson probably I've ever met. Like, honestly, that's my one gift. I didn't think that sales actually mattered. Like, but I'm like, oh, I'm really good at selling. So but I can't sell all my author's books for them. So if I can train them a little bit, how to be at least a little better than what they are at sales. And if they if they lack that, like the truly like the writers, the introverts that can't sell, get people around you that can help you mm-hmm. sell. Because there's lots of introverts that have sold millions and millions of copies of books, right? And have had bestsellers, but they have good teams around them. So if I'm just saying that in case you're not a naturally born salesperson, that it just comes easy to you. But be authentic to who you are. And if you love the message, you're going to be authentic and you won't even realize it, but you're selling, right? So, and I mean, you guys do this, right? I think it's putting enough time in your pre-sales. You can't just start promoting your book a week before your book releases. It's getting longer and longer. Six months before, start Mm -hmm. talking. Do a cover reveal. Have your audience like build up this anticipation that your book's coming out and why they need your book. So I think it's the building up. You can't just start week of release. The best-selling books, I mean, we have plans six months, nine months ahead of time that we're building towards that release. Creating multiple products. Like I love it when we have a trade book and a devotional or e-course or a Bible study or a gift book, like children's book, actually building where there's other products feeding into people wanting to buy the trade book. So everything test leads back to the trade book. So if you have a children's book, that has some little message that kind of, gears you to the trade book, it makes you want to read the trade book. So a trade book is your main book. It's the nonfiction self-help book. And then you can have all these little products that kind of lead you or are magnets to lead you to the trade book. So offering free content, doing some kind of challenge before, getting people for free to get invested in something that they're like, wow, this is so great that they have to buy the trade book. Speaking, setting up a speaking tour around your book. That's huge because speaking, you're getting... 100 people or 1,000 or 10,000 people at one time, all motivated, talking, 
putting it on social media, buying it on Amazon. So that's why I say like it's multiple things going at the same time is all of our bestsellers have had that. Yeah, I think that's... Had a plan. You can't just go into publishing your book without a marketing plan. And so many authors go into books without a marketing plan. And biggest mistake authors make is they think the publisher is going to do it for them. Guys, I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 20 years. The publisher is not going to do it for you. You have to go in, even if you're with the biggest publisher in the world and you ha- and you got a $5 million advance and every, yeah, they're going to put some more money into you. That's really what they're going to do. But you still have to be involved and you have to work your butt off. Like, it's just how it is. You're never going to get a bestseller if you're sitting back and just thinking the publisher is going to do it for you. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. I think this is really, really important. Going back to what you said earlier about launching a book, writing a book is like starting a business. So it needs to be treated like one or at least a part of the business because like to that It's like, how many of us would have actually launched a business without some sort of plan or some sort of budget with the money and the funds that we had? And it's like, most would not do that. Most, right? It's no different with your book. It's no different. And if you've got to have a plan. If you go with the business mentality into it, you're thinking, okay, like if I was going to start a business and I'm like, okay, it's going to cost me $80,000 to invest and start this business and I'm going to be working 80 hours a week and I... That's your book. You should be thinking with that mentality going into your book that it's a business and you're investing in something. However, you know what your revenue return is going to be on it. Great. But it's how much work you put into it. You cannot go into a book, think you don't have to invest any money. You don't have to invest any time. You know, It's not going to be a bestseller. Then you're just writing a legacy book. Like a lot mm-hmm. of like my rich billionaire clients do. They just write a book so that their family could have it. They don't care about sales. They don't want to talk about it. It's just for their kids, grandkids, great grandkids to know about how they started their business. That leads me to a question that I have for you. Something you said made me think about this. So what about for the authors who want an agent, want to go the traditionally published route, and they don't really care if they ever hit a list. They want a big advance and then they just want sales to happen organically. It's tricky. Most big celebrity clients, they want to hit a bestseller list, right? The issue I see a lot, AJ, is when an author comes in, they don't have a platform. They have a really good idea. They're a good writer. They don't have a big platform. And I don't work with the smaller publishers, really, because the smaller publishers don't pay advances. You're giving up too much. You're not controlling your rights. So we have a program here at the Fed Agency where we... We pick a select few, right? But we publish it for them where we're helping them grow their platform so that when they're at the point that they're ready for a big New York Mm -hmm. publisher, we're able to go sell them and they're of value to them. But the days of the big advances, you have to have a big platform if you're thinking you're good, or it's got to be a national media story where then everybody knows the story, everybody wants to do the book and there's a bidding war on it. I think the mistake authors make is they don't treat a book like a business. And that's really comes down to. So if an author comes in here, 
and they don't care about the bestseller list, but they want a big advance, then we'll probably get them a big advance if we can. And then the publisher's disappointed. Everyone's disappointed. And then they're not really doing another book anymore. Mm. So that's that round is like- building a publishing enterprise. Like we right. want authors coming in and we do have the books that the authors that they're only going to do one book in their career and that's it. But most of our authors are looking at building a publishing enterprise. They're saying, I want publishing to be part of my business, part of my brand, part of everything I do. And then we're mapping out what that could look like. And if you don't want that, then probably don't need an agent. Don't probably need a big publishing need. house. Yep. That's really this. This is the self-published route, right? Yep. If you're not trying to do this to grow up and treat it like a business, because at the end of the day, publishers are in business to sell yep. books, right? And they're so, depending on you to do that. Yeah. So like I'll take 2022, we did 200 million in sales and book sales. And when you think about that, like, wow, that's $20 a book. That's 10 million books sold last year from the pet agency of all of our authors. Right. And that seems like a lot, but at the majority of, if you look at how many of those books actually sold over hmm. 500,000 copies, I mean, it's maybe six a lot of them sold 100,000. And so you're trying to get that author that sold 50,000 in the first year to the next year, sell 100,000 of their next mm -hmm. book. All of our authors were trying to grow their platform. We're not like, so that each book they do is selling more and more so that when you get to a point where you're an author, that anytime you put a book out, you're selling a quarter of a million, no matter what, that's when you've really arrived and you've really found success because you have this following that's going to buy anything from you. And it's a big enough number that every publisher wants you. And you know what's so funny? It's like when you're thinking of selling a half a million or a million books, in theory, that feels like a lot. But then if you think about it in context of even just the population of the United States is like roughly 365 million. And we're talking about people are trying to figure out how to sell 100,000. That's such a teeny tiny, I know, minuscule portion of the actual just population in the US. Forget North America or the remainder of the world. But it's like, it's really small. So what makes it so hard to reach even such a small percentage of the population? I think a lot of authors give away their content for free. So people don't think they need to buy the book because they've heard it. And that's a big mistake. I mean, you have to give mm -hmm. bits and pieces, but you have to make the book unique that it's a, you need to read this, right? Pastors do a sermon series. You walk in, you've heard it, you see it, you, and you get everything for free, right? So why would you spend mm -hmm. $25 for a hardback book? You already got it for free. So it's, making that urgency, right? That need that you need to buy it. And we try to help our authors build transactional audiences, audiences that will pay money, not audiences that just get everything from you for free. And that's where I think if you're in business, you're going to be thinking, I want to give some things for free, but I'm not going to give the magic away for free, right? I'm going to make them know that there's value and that they're going to pay for that. Yeah. I'm just laughing and smiling because like our biggest philosophy is always and forever give away the what, but charge for the how. Good. Right, you can give I'm away the what, charge for the how. I agree with that. Like that, And that's why e-courses are doing so well, right? Listen, it's like if someone gives you a free ticket to a concert, right? Chances are you probably won't go, right? But when you pay $200 for, for a ticket, you're going to show investment. up. Yeah. An investment. And so I think like, I think the same thing when, you, when it's an e-course, someone says, oh, here's my e-course for 20 bucks, join. I show up like it's a $20 e-course. Right. But if I'm paying $3,000 for e-course, I'm going to show up like it's a $3,000 e-course. I'm going to look <laughs> nice. I'm going to do my makeup. I'm going to like, but if it's 20 bucks, I'm like in my workout clothes with ball cap on saying, okay, let me see what the heck this is, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'll, 
I, I tell you, like last year, I made this commitment that I was going to read a book every month, right? And I did. I read 15 books last year. I was so proud of myself. And so let me tell you what happened, though, is I was reminded of the power. And I had forgotten that because I had gotten away and just listening to podcasts and listening to short form content. And I got reminded in the biggest, most profound way last year from reading 15 books that I didn't think about myself, like the amount of time, like, you know, don't take offense to this, but the amount of time that I took to prepare for this interview right? That it's minutes, right? It's like 30 minutes versus the amount of time that you prepare, write, edit, rewrite, re-edit a book is months, if not years versus I will throw out a podcast with 30 minutes of preparation. I'll whip together a blog post in 30 minutes and I'll do a short form video content with five minute prep time. And that is nothing compared to the amount of time, sweat, effort, just incredible resource to put together a book that we then only charge $25 for. Yep. And just a major shout out to when you think you listen to a podcast and you got it, you don't, you don't like there is just, I was so positively reminded of that last year. Yeah. And AJ, there's something about highlighting in a book, right? It's thinking about it. If you're reading it, that, like I read it a lot for living, so I'm always reading, but highlighting and saying, oh, this is really good. This is a sticky statement of magic, right? This could change someone's life. It's you get to spend time and sit mm-hmm. with it. Podcasts, you're on the run, you're listening to it, you're doing something else. like you're not sitting with it and really thinking through it. So I, I feel like it's a lot of value in a $25 book. And that's why it's so important that the marketing and branding of that book shows that value to the end consumer. I'm so on the same page with that because I just, I'm still reveling in the fact that some of these books and like, this will change my life forever. And it was a $25 investment. I've spent $8,000, $10,000 on events that I'm like, I'm taking long lunch breaks and checking emails. And yeah. it's like, yeah. So I represent this really famous therapist, right? And like, she doesn't even do sessions anymore. But if you did a session, it'd be like a thousand dollars an hour, right? This is here. You can get her book for $25, right? And she can, it, you'll read it and it could actually save your marriage, right? Or, yes. you know, help you deal with depression or whatever it is, any mental health issue. And I'm like, it's $25, right? Like, that's so amazing, right? That you could get that. You just have to read it and do the work, right? It's just yeah. like the same thing with any diet book, right? Or health book. It really can change your life, right? If you read it and apply it. And it's only 25 bucks because you get a personal trainer. It's going to cost you a hundred bucks an hour at least, right? Or a coach or a consultant or counseling, all these things. There's a way a book, if you actually use it and do it, you can save a lot of money and get the best value. Heck yeah. That's part of why I wanted to have this call with you because I have had such a, I've re-fallen in love with books and the written word because of my commitment to do this, you know, little personal challenge last year. And now I'm just like, I'm blown away that it's like the amount of money I spent on other things compared to the amount of money I spent on books is not even in comparison. But what I learned from the books versus what I learned from all the other things I did is insurmountably bigger. What was, okay, out of the 15 books you read last year, what was your favorite book? Well, I have to have two because one is the one that will forever change my life and my eternity, which is the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And I read every single word and it's long and it's heavy and it's dense reading. But 
I couldn't believe that I had made it through 39 years of my life without hearing about heaven in this context. It will forever change the trajectory of my life and my family. So, and then I discovered for the first time ever, Jenny Allen, who is now my favorite author. And awesome. I read, I read four of her books in one year. I did. That was how I finished the year was with that. But the one that was my favorite book of the entire year is Nothing to Prove. Good book. Nothing to Prove. Get out of your head. Find your people. We're all Jenny Allen books that were at the top of my list, but Nothing to Prove would have been my favorites uh, last year. And I think that's just a great reminder for anyone who's listening, who is an author. It's like, don't forget that in addition to hitting the list, you're actually changing people's lives. Right. That's ultimately, yeah. ultimately, that's but look, really you the read goal. One Jenny Allen book, and guess what you did? You read three more after that. So I have her avatar. Like but she yeah. writes for me, and that's the best thing. Is like when you write something and you and someone loves it, they're looking for anything else from you that you have, yeah. right? Um, we but get, you got to have great content, right? Yeah. Have great content. Yeah, we get thousands of letters in suicides not committed, of people coming to Christ, of marriages mm-hmm. saved. Families reunited. And I tell my staff all the time, this is why we do what we do, right? Like we're a part of this because we help get the book out. And I like, that's really rewarding. And I mean, humbling and rewarding, but that's why you write a book. The last part is what we were talking about is that these lives are changed, right? That someone Mm -hmm. with overweight is now healthy. Someone that was depressed is now happy. Someone that like, as you go through the list, I mean, that's what you're hoping you're writing to. A business that was failing is now successful, right? Because they read something from you. That's why I do what I do. And like, AJ, I know that's why you do what you do, but let's not forget the most important part of why you're writing a book. It's not only just to sell a million copies, it's to hopefully change a million lives. But you'll never sell a million copies if you don't have incredibly great content and you're not willing to market and sell the pants off of it. And I think that is like two really big takeaways for everybody. All right. I know we're almost out of time, but I have two more really important questions for you. When it comes to category listings, how important is that? When you mean like the one category or you're talking about Amazon? I would say both, but we'll start with Amazon, right? Because I know so many people who are obsessive of has to be in this very specific category, because in this category, I know that on this week that I can hit X, Y, Z. So we do as much categories as you can, right? Like on Amazon, because we have a book that hit the, okay. So our youngest author, she's 17. She did a, a C book, a children's book, like aquarium type of thing, right? And one of the categories we picked that we put her on at Amazon was turtles. And she hit number one bestseller in turtles. We never there you hit, go. But <laughs> now that helps the algorithm, right? So yes. I think authors, the mistake they make is like, I want to be in self-help. Great. Let's be a little more specific because the algorithms start kicking in and it working. And I could do a whole talk with you on Amazon, how it works, because doing this for years and years and actually working with people on Amazon, a very high level, trying to figure this stuff out. You want it, you want the algorithm working in your favor. So you you don't want to be so broad. You actually want to try to nail down, be pretty mm-hmm. specific. And that's what helps you hit bestsellers in different categories. And okay. nobody looks back in the day for categorizing, like for Barnes Noble, people cared if it was like religion, right? Or cookbooks, or nobody looks at that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like 90% of all books are sold online. You're not looking at that little category. Totally. No one even pays attention. No one pays attention, just like no one pays attention to what's on a spine of a book, like who the publisher is, really. Only people mm-hmm. in the business, like me and you, and uh, but like the general person doesn't know the difference between what publisher is what publisher. They couldn't tell you Penguin Random House was the largest publisher in the world. They have no clue, right? So yeah. 
That's so true. It's so like, true. And that, but, but nobody else cares about it. <laughs> but as an author, you're like, oh, it's this publishing house. So somehow it's going to be like, nobody freaking knows. They don't care. They don't know. It's just well, us. Do they like uh, the cover? Category. Yep. <laughs> the same thing for category listings. And I think that's really important because like, to what you said, I love is that you've got to niche down, right? And that the more specific you are, like, and no one's really taking a screenshot that you were number one in turtles. They said that you were number one, which yep. a lot of times number one people need for- and you, you wanted to <laughs> say number one bestseller, right? They're not looking number one bestseller in turtles, right? But our marketing director did a really good job of really narrowing it down to that niche of turtles, right? Because there's a turtle on the yeah. cover and I'm laughing because I'm like, that was kind of genius, right? Because this girl doesn't have any platform. She's like yeah. a high school student, but here you go. She just hit number one Amazon bestseller. Intern. You know, I'm telling you, like that is just so important. Back to marketing, branding, selling, writing the book is just a piece of this puzzle. But it's like you've got to have a good team who knows what they're doing to figure out these little nuances. Um, and a part of that is like Rory always corrects me and he goes, It's not that hitting the list doesn't matter. It's just it's a piece of the puzzle. But the more times that you can hit the list and the more you sell, the more other people will hear about it. And then it spreads. So I have to remind myself of that because I'm one of those, like, it doesn't matter. But it kind of does because yeah, when it, you do. Exactly. Rose, right. You both are right. But the other side is the best part is when you see it on the list over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. Because then you're like, wow, it was really a good book because people keep buying it. It wasn't just hit the list and then left, right? The best right. part is see, oh, it's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 54 weeks, you know? Or yeah. that's like, wow, we really have a winner now. Yeah, not looking for the one hit wonder. Okay, last set of questions. And then I have a personal question for you. Now, you told me earlier, like kind of like three things, like make it sticky, have good content, have a good platform. It needs to be unique. That's like generally speaking. But for you personally, working with a 17-year-old girl who has no platform, right? And I just also happen to know some of your authors who don't have big platforms and all of that. So I know that's not the only thing you look for. And I just think it's really unique to find an agent who is willing to invest in people who you're like, no, I see something in you. I see something in this message. I'm going to, I'm going to do it regardless. It may not get me the biggest advance and you may not this, this, and this, but so I'm curious for you personally, what makes an author someone that you're like you? I want to work with you. Okay. So I'm a sucker. Okay. Like, listen, like for a story, right? So someone comes in and they have a crazy story. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I cry all the time. Like, I don't know what happened in my forties. I just like, they'll tell a story <laughs> and I'll be falling, crying and too emotional. So because we have this other publishing program where we can help and actually more and more influencers with huge platforms are not wanting to go to traditional publishing. They want to own all their own content and they don't want to wait two mm-hmm. years for it to come out. So mm-hmm. when we developed this program and we put millions of dollars into it, it's awesome. So when an author comes in and they're looking at it like they're it's a business and they really want to get the story out, I'm like, I'm all for it. If I'm touched by the story, I'm like, I want to do it. I want to help you get this message out. But that author has to want to work. I usually like yeah. if an author is like, yeah, I don't need it. I really, I don't have that much time in the day. Like I like to help start businesses and empower people to keep going. I think the biggest mistake people make is they quit before their miracle. Like they're mm. right there and they just give up. So the best are the authors that are really in it. And so if I have someone that's super passionate and really in it and know that this is a core message, it's really hard for me to say no to that. Mm, I love that. So for you, it really does come down to two oh, yeah. things. I'm, I, I said, I was like, my whole team's like, Esther, say no. I'm like, 
yeah, but this story's so good. And I think it's got some legs and maybe this could be a movie or maybe we could do this. And so it's fun, like thinking through it. But yeah, like sometimes I have to bring my team in for them to be like, no, this isn't. We all have to have people who are willing to say no in our lives. But I love that. It's like, it's this is story, but also are you willing to work? Are you willing to work? Are you willing to work as hard as I'm going to have to, to make this come to life. I love that. I think that's so cool. All right. Here's a personal question for you in the group. So you kind of told us earlier what your favorite book was. Well, I don't know if it's your favorite book of all time, but how to win friends and influence people. I would say, what has been the book that you would say, like for me, heaven will be like forever changed the direction of my life. But I would also say like nothing to prove and discovering Jenny Allen has been a life-changing event for me in the last 12 months of going. I've never read a book where I'm like, Oh, I'm your avatar. It's so clear who you're writing to. It's me. Hi, my name's AJ. So I would say to you, like, do you have a an author or a book that you're like, I don't care who you are or anything, but if you read this work, read this book or from this author, like it's gonna change your life. I do. So everybody that knows me knows my book. Like it's changed my life, it changed the way I thought about business, it's changed everything. It's actually back there. It's by Mark Batterson, who's one of my favorite authors that I have the privilege of working with. It's called The Circle Maker. I read The Circle Maker. I was agenting for seven years of my own company and I was pretty successful. And I read this book and it like, it just wrecked me. And you know how people are like, oh, I pray or I I do this, right? And remember, I get to read it before all of you guys read it. So I'm like way ahead of thinking, you know, and I'm like, this is going to be a bestseller. It was a New York Times bestseller. It sold over 5 million copies. It's been unbelievable. But what's so cool about this book is because we sold it as Honey the Circle Drawer, but it's called The Circle Maker. And it's about praying circles, right? So I started believing God. I prayed circles around every office. I prayed circles around an office building I wanted to buy. I prayed circles like, God, if this is for me, prayed for every employee on every desk. And guess what? I started getting better employees. I started getting like mm. more champions. I started getting bigger authors. And there was this guy, he talks about at the end of the book, right? So it doesn't ruin the book for you guys. But there was this guy named Gypsy Smith, right? And he was this evangelist that traveled all over the world. I think he did 45 trips around the world. And he was this amazing preacher speaker. And somebody asked him, like, what was the secret? And his like, was his prayer life? And he goes right away, he goes, these revival seekers are asking, how can God use me? And so when I was reading this book, I'm like, God, how can you use me in a bigger way? Mm -hmm. And he goes, go home, lock your door, kneel in the middle of the floor, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself and pray fervently and brokenly for God to do a revival inside that chalk circle. Mm -hmm. And That's from this guy, Gypsy Smith, this evangelist. I did that, right? And I went home, I locked the door and I took a piece of chalk and I drew a circle and I said, God, I want you to use me. Bring me the clients you want me to use. Bring me the employees you want me to work with. Bring me the team. Help me scale my company. Like just use me to pick those right books or the ones that you want me to be part of. And that like totally forever changed my company. So Mm -hmm. it was prayer. And if you haven't read The Circle Maker, you have to. Every employee here has to read The Circle Maker and How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those are the two books that everyone that worked for me. Well, I just wrote it down. I wrote it down. Part of me is like, I'm going to AJ, I'm going to send you a copy. So I'll send you one today. I'm always looking for really good books. And then, okay, last question. Do you read or do you listen? Both, right? So (laughs) I'm a speed reader, so I can read pretty fast, obviously, because I read like 300 books a year. But I listen to, so... A lot of times I'm a big believer. Every book, you have to do an audiobook. I don't let my authors not do an audiobook. It really yeah. makes me mad if they don't want to do an audiobook. Audio is up 347% in the last two years. Wow. So more people are listening 
than reading right now. Huge authors, and I can give you the stats, are selling more in audio than actual print. Print sales are still up, by the way. So it's it's both. They're buying both versions. Like I do that all the time. I buy I the too. print version and I buy I listen to audio. And sometimes I read a little bit of book. Sometimes I listen to it. I think listening, like when I'm walking or working out or like in the car, it's so much easier to listen. But I still love to read. So I read every one of the books I represent I or listen to it one or the other. So I think it's whatever your preference is. Yeah, I, I love I that. I remember it better, AJ, if I'm reading it than if I'm listening to it because like you can tune out or get distracted. But when I'm reading it, I feel like I really take it in more. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I always tease my husband. I'm like, you did not read that. You listen to that. That's not, you can't say I read that. You can only say I listen counts. to it. I actually tell everyone reading or listening, it's the same thing, right? Because <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the same thing. I'm such a, I'm so biased, but I am, I'm very much like you. I'm a speed reader. So I can crush books. I crush books, I, but I love to hold it. I love to like feel the pages, fold them, dog ear, highlight, underline. There's power in everything. All women, I think all women like that, right? Like we like to take notes. I like to hold it. But I would also say as by a feedback for anyone who is listening, when you do your audiobook, at least from this one consumer's piece of feedback, read your own book. Please do not hire someone else to read your book. I want to hear the author's voice and connotations, and I want to hear it from you. So piece of unbiased feedback. And Esther, I would just say, man, not only are you like representing authors that are truly changing the trajectory of this world, like the work you're doing is changing the world. You are helping get things out there that are saving lives, transforming lives. And man, it's such an honor to get to meet you and have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to release this episode and get it out into the world. So thanks for giving us your time today. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, stay tuned and listen to the recap conversation that I'm going to do on my conversation with Esther. And we'll see you next time on the Influential Personal Brand. See you later. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.